Hey, today I want to talk about economics. You got the tax cut going on, the tax reform bill. Is it a tax cut, tax reform? Well, we're going to be talking about it in this episode because I got one of the smartest guy is the guy that's called the Michael Phelps of economic strategy, economic uh, indicators, the guy that that's the most accurate forecaster in America. You know what? He makes it sound easy, makes it sound good, makes us all sound smart, and he gives it to us right here. And it's really, really, really good because Jim Sullivan, that's who I'm talking about, he's the chief economist for high-frequency economics. They're out of New York, very smart guy. You're going to pick that up right away. He's been the top-ranked forecaster on Bloomberg. He's been one of the most wildly watched U.S. economic uh, advisors there is out there in terms of being able to pick it. And according to MarketWorks, he is the most accurate forecaster in America for the past 10 years. And he's with us right here on All Business. And this episode is sponsored by Liberty Tax, Institute, Elytra Health, and Giftogram. In fact, speaking of Elytra Health, I got to tell you, they're in Manhattan. We're talking about a center right smack in the middle of Manhattan, the future of preventative medicine, and they're ready to see you now. Because I go in there, they spend the entire day probing me and touching me in places I've never touched myself, okay? And at the end of the day, they give me this report, give me this report, give me this report, give me this report. At the end of the day, you don't have to wait and hear from a doctor two, three days later, the bad news or the good news. They tell you in plain English, it's unlike any plain medical exam or plain medical office, this is like a spa. You go into this place, it's comprised of unparalleled life-saving preventative testing. The entire exam is done in one day, under one roof, in the most stunning spa-like environment imaginable. So go visit elitrahealth.com and schedule your appointment today. This is an executive service. I'm telling you, it is unbelievable. So join me and listen right now as we talk to Jim O'Sullivan from High Frequency Economics about the economy. From Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Okay, so the big question right off the bat, are we facing an economic crisis in the next year or two? Uh, well, Jeff, I'm certainly not forecasting it. <laughs> of course, the future is always difficult to predict. Um, and of course, here we are eight plus years into this expansion and expansions don't go on forever. But there's a saying in economics that expansions don't die of old age. And frankly, I don't see the, the obvious trigger, um, certainly in terms of Fed policy and the yield curve. And historically, the single best leading indicator of a recession has been an inverted yield curve, which basically means that short-term interest rates are higher than long-term interest rates, and that typically comes after a, Fed, a full-fledged Fed tightening cycle. And at this point, we don't have that. Uh, of course, the equity market, which isn't, I would say, as reliable leading indicator, there are more false signals with that, is, of course, pointing positive as well. So at this point, and the numbers are looking good, um, I don't frankly see things suddenly changing in the next year. I mean, even historically, when you do get that inverted yield curve, I mean, it's typically been another year before you go into recession. So uh, the expansion won't last forever. And we could always get a completely unexpected shock from some source over the next six months that nobody's allowing for at this point. But as of now, everything looks pretty good. 
You know, it, it's kind of interesting given the fact that back in 2008, we were looking at all the doom and gloom and, and now we've come out pretty strong. We're looking good. Things have been good. But, you know, I I've, I was at a conference last week. I was at another the C-Suite Network conference that we had. We had economists telling us, yeah, we're heading for it's coming. It's on the horizon. I had somebody at another conference the weekend before that who's saying, yeah, it's coming. Be ready for it. It's coming. It's coming. But you know, you make me feel better about this, Jim, that, you know, there's some hope that it's not, it's not, at least it's not around the corner, or at least we're going to have some warning. Well, of course, I mean, there are always going to be people who are saying that <laughs> there's a crisis around the corner. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that would have been true three years ago, four years ago, five years ago. Um, I mean, and, and frankly, even in the current environment, sometimes it can be partisan. I mean, that may have worked the other way four years ago, depending on who was in the White mm-hmm. House and pe- people's biases to some extent. Um, so, I mean that that's 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 always true. Um, again, I mean the the expansion is eight years old. I mean the starting point was a severe recession with a ten percent unemployment rate, and here we are down to four point one, which is historically low. And of course, at this point, the Fed's trying to slow down the labor market in terms of employment growth relative to labor force growth to stop unemployment from getting too low to cause overheating. And it's out of that potentially, ultimately, you could get. Too much Fed tightening and inverted yield curve. I mean, so that is a scenario that could play out over the next two or three years. But uh, frankly, at this point, the signals are not showing it for the for the year ahead. Uh, which is which is fantastic. So, so as an economist, what keeps you up at night? Um, well, for the most part, <laughs> not not much. Um, I mean, again, ultimately, the the cycle is not going to go on forever. I mean, ultimately, we will have a recession again, of course, which of itself is not the end of the world. The last recession was, was, was of course, severe when the unemployment rate got up to 10%. Most recessions are not nearly that, that severe. Um, and ultimately, we will have a cycle again. Again, I'm not anticipating it in the next year or even the next two years, but ultimately, we will have a cycle again. But if you were to ask me kind of what could suddenly shock the system, even if it's a low probability, like what could really go wrong, um, it's hard to completely ignore what's going on with North Korea. I mean, obviously, there are scenarios associated with North Korea, which could be quite disastrous. And in terms of spillover to confidence, to financial markets, and ultimately the real economy. Now, obviously, people in the markets generally are not putting much weight on the probability that that does indeed turn into disaster. We have the equity market at a record high. And I think that's probably the right call. Of course, I do think that's the right call. But if you were to ask me, like, if there's one thing that is really scary out there, even if it's a low probability, I would say that. I think most other things, whether you're talking about, yeah, the Fed has to tighten a bit more than expected, we get a bit more inflation than expected, um, something like that, I think that's all more routine that, that we could deal with in the course of a typical business cycle. When we talk about North Korea, it's not really about North Korea, it's really about China. Um, right? I mean, that's what I would suggest. I mean, I mean, wouldn't it be great if you know North Korea opened up and everything would be nice, and we could actually start doing some trade with them, and and they they didn't hate us as they do today, and they really truly do. I mean, we've got a leader there who's been who's been a demigod, who's been you know his father before him, and now him, uh, you know, running you know films that say that we're at war with each other already. So I mean, it's that that's bad. We know that, but. But behind that is there is the neighbor to the north, and it's the Chinese and the power that they have, and they're their made trading partner, aren't they? Um, yes, and I, I must say I'm not an expert on Korea at all. I mean, the real issue, of course, mm-hmm. in this case is the existence of nuclear weapons. 
Right. Uh, I mean, North Korea of itself is is obviously tiny from a from an economy standpoint and importance to the global economy. But I mean, the key issue, of course, is their is their threat in terms of of, of nuclear weapons. Yeah, well, without question, I mean that that is a bit, that's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. We know that. But I but when I think about the economic power behind them, it's really truly China. And, and, if, and if we if we get into a I use my words here, but pissing match with with North Korea, then the Chinese might have to make some sanctions, and that could all that just causes all kinds of problems. Well, let, let's let's go back to us. Let's go back to the U.S. Okay. So um, could I want to talk to you about something I was sitting around talking to a bunch of people one day and a very astute friend of mine, very smart, said, you know, Jeff, if you ask most Americans to come up with a thousand bucks, they couldn't come up with a thousand bucks. And so we started looking at it, talked to some of your folks and, and others. And we said we found out that in 2017, a go banking rate survey said 59 percent of Americans have on average a thousand dollars in their savings account and 69 percent have less than that. Now, Jim, do you see this as accurate? And do you think it's due to the, you know, some people, is it due to the Fed's lowering interest rates to increase spending? Or is it just because, you know, we're such a, a credit society that we just don't need to have that? Is what, What's going on with that? Um, I'm not familiar with the real detailed numbers per se. I mean, generally, I, I, I follow the macro numbers in terms of what, what drives financial markets from uh, week to week and month, month to month, et cetera. But broadly, I mean, I, it's certainly true that an awful lot of, People effectively live paycheck to paycheck, and they don't mm-hmm. really have much in terms of savings. I and mean, in some of those cases that you're talking about, they may have a credit card that they do have access. So if it was an absolute emergency, um, they could they could get cash even if they don't have cash cash on hand. But absolutely, it, it's true that there's a very low low uh, a, a large percentage of people who have minimal cash cash savings. And in fact, there's even a lot of people out there who don't have a financial account of any sort. I remember that came up. I mean, it's it's uh, 12 years ago now with the with the with the Katrina disaster. And as a lot of people moved, they didn't even have a ba- have a bank account. So yes, mm-hmm. I mean, I think a lot of people do live paycheck to paycheck. Now, is that the Fed's fault? No, not at all. I mean, obviously, even if interest rates were higher, and if you had a thousand dollars in a, in a bank account, chances are that you're not going to make much interest on it anyway. I mean, typical checking accounts, even even with interest rates at three or four percent, typically a checking account return is going to be small relative to that. And in terms of what the Fed's done in recent years, um, yes, they lower interest rates, and that helps stimulate the economy. Um, so certainly in a very narrow sense, um, there's a loss of income for people who have, um, who, have, who have fixed income savings. From the bigger picture perspective, the decline in interest rates generally stimulates the economy. And as a result, I mean, a big part of as a result, the unemployment rate is down to 4.1% from as high as 10% back in 2009. So ultimately, I think even more important for for most people, even more so for uh, lower income people, is the existence of a job. So yes, these a lot of these people are living paycheck to paycheck, but that's why it's even more important of a job. So there's nothing more important, I think, from that perspective in terms of what the Fed does. And I think they've been very successful. And yes, I mean, the interest rates are are incredibly low. I mean, that's in some ways the price that's been paid for stimulating the economy and getting the, the the recovery in the labor market to where we are now, where millions and millions of jobs have been created over the last several years. But again, I mean, there there are a lot of people who struggle and, and live paycheck to paycheck. And I mean, ultimately, I think the objective has to be to to get better paying jobs and better education and 
move move up the ranks in terms of the the job structure of, of the economy. Um, but but that's not to deny that there are a lot of people out there who struggle. Yeah, without question, there are and and more. Oh, geez, I I feel for people if you don't if you don't have that kind of money in your your savings account, you don't have access to it. I, I really do feel for people like that. I mean. It's not easy. Hey, um, I do want to take a quick break here. And I want to come back. I want to talk to you about interest rates maybe being too low. And I want to talk about unemployment being so low because um, those those interest me. But I want to take a I want to take a break for a real quick talk about my good friends at Institute. I'm looking better than ever. Look, hey, look, I, I know me. I look I, I think I look I have a face for not only just podcasts, but a face for television. Uh, these these guys specialize in custom tailored menswear. Uh, for the modern gentlemen, they don't do women. They only do men. Uh, and I'm telling you, these guys have something else. I, I'm using them now. I'm using them for custom-made suits, custom-made jackets, custom-made shirts. It's awesome. Unbelievable. So here's what they do. They use your measurements, and they save them to an online profile. You can do this on your own, okay? It makes reordering simple, and all the orders are covered by their perfect fit guarantee. I kid you not. I ordered three jackets uh, about a, about three weeks ago. And I ordered six or eight shirts. I'm telling you, I took them out of the box, put them on, did not have to change, you know, no nip, no tuck, no, no move this over, take this in, let this out. Un-freaking-believable. It was unbelievable. So this means they, they, they will alter the gar- garment. If it, does, if it doesn't fit, they'll alter it. They'll remake it. They'll refund your purchase in full. So you have nothing to lose. And man, you can choose from anything. They're fine. Australian wools, their linens, their cottons, their cashmeres, any suit of any style, custom-made uh, suits starting at four ninety nine. Okay, custom-made in shirts at starting at eighty nine. I'm telling you, really good stuff. Why would you ever buy off the rack? Okay, and you get custom. So go visit in Stitch U. That's I N S T I T C H U dot com okay so tell and tell them hazel sent you um, uh, well maybe we gotta have some specials we gotta check with our our producer and team on that we gotta get some get some good specials for you but they'll have some like buy four shirts get one free they'll do something like that so check it out so let me ask you a question jim i'm gonna get back to you by the way where are you from originally um i was born in new york but grew up in ireland but i've been back in, yeah, back in new york a while now you can- <laughs> Yeah, you can hear just a little hint of that in the back. Just a little hint of that back. Where, where, where in in Ireland? In uh, Offaly, and I went to. Where's Offaly? It's the dead center of the country. It's actually where uh, it's it's where Barack Obama is originally from, or at least is one of his grandparents, I believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, my family is from uh, Derry, way up north. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, awesome. Well, that's uh, you can just hear a little hint of that. I was just kind of curious. So, that, by the way, since we're on that subject, did you? Did you, uh, when you were a kid, did you say, "Hey, I can't wait to be an economist"? I mean, how did you, how did you become an economist? Um, well, I started studying economics in high school, mm-hmm. and yeah. I enjoyed it throughout the way. I mean, I didn't necessarily figure I would stay in economics all the way through as a profession of itself. I mean, I was generally interested in business and economics and politics, and kind of they're all weaved together to some extent. And as I went into to college, in terms of the, the, the course I started with was general business and economics um, course, and I focused more and more on economics as I went through college in Trinity and Dublin. Um, so mm-hmm. I ultimately concentrated pretty purely on on economics, and then did a master's as well, and came to New York uh, way back. <laughs> started working at J.P. Morgan in the economics department, and mm-hmm. um, I've been an economist since then. 
That's that's unbelievable. Have, have you been surprised by Ireland's entry into the business world as being like the economic center of all things business? And um, well, of course they they had their fall after a big rise, and they've been ri- oh, rising yeah. again now in recent <laughs> years. So, I mean, they've been growing yeah. pretty rapidly after a severe bubble bursting, and before that, of course, was the Kel- Celtic Tiger. Um, but no, they've got a lot going for them in terms of business, and um, they're thriving again right now. Yeah, I had uh, Barbara Jones. The, well, she's now ambassador to, to uh, Mexico, but I had Barbara uh, on my television show, and I said, "Do you hear that?" And she goes, "What?" I said, "That huge sucking sound of all this business leaving the states and going to Ireland, because <laughs> uh, it's been that way for a while." Um, well, I mean, certainly as an entree into Europe, and there's a lot of even mm-hmm. companies that set up in the U.S. that want to do business here from overseas, but likewise, even if you're an American company and you want to do business in the European Union, then Ireland arguably is an ideal location. Well, especially with the UK stepping out. Uh, even it. more so than yes. Yeah. So the, you've been described as the Michael Phelps of uh, <laughs> economics, which I thought was kind of interesting. I don't think that has to do with either your pot smoking or your, <laughs> your, or your, or your swimming, right? <laughs> um, I think, yeah, that was a nice headline. It was shortly after the last Olympics, I think. And it was related to the market watch forecaster yeah. of the month competition, which um, is a fairly specific competition. It, it, it revolves around the economic indicators. I mean, so every month we see the employment report comes out, the CPI, retail sales, industrial production. So there, there are all these economic data points that get reported every month and markets respond to them. And um, so I, I forecast those numbers. And it was in that context for forecasting those numbers that I, I guess I won their competition a few times. Right. The most, well, Nate, 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 not a few times. You've been named the most accurate forecaster in America in the last 10 years. So it, what what makes you be so accurate? Is it like Michael Phelps in terms of you practice, you practice, you practice, and you, you, you compete, you compete, you compete? I mean, uh, or have you taken some special smart pill that nobody else has got? You know, a lot of it is just doing the work, I think. I mean, obviously, there's a certain yeah. amount of judgment of these things as well and experience, and you pull it all together. So it's, um, I mean, a lot of it, I mean, economic indicators, and there's frankly a lot of volatility in these numbers month to month. I mean, even when the trend is is up, numbers go down. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a question of just studying these numbers very closely and try to figure out what goes into them and uh, extrapolating the trends and using a bit of econometrics and statistical analysis. And um, I mean, ultimately, in truth, it's not so much the the most accurate forecaster, it's the least inaccurate forecaster because <laughs> you still get a lot wrong. Yeah, well, that's well, but if you get more right than wrong, that's pretty good too. So, wh- so what what would you describe your economic philosophy as? More Keynesian or more laissez-faire? Um, you know, I'd say very very eclectic. I mean, I think, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's. Um, I mean, certainly, it, or or even like more extreme monetarist. I mean, there. I mean, a lot of those things that people talk about are are certainly more theoretical and. I mean, in, in practice, I mean, the theories are extremes. And I mean, in truth, the real world is, is a combination of a lot of those things. I mean, I do think I mean, that there, there's certainly aspects of, of Keynesian that, that is very, very valid. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, it, a lot of that is textbook as well. I mean, certainly uh, when people talk about extreme monetarism as well, in terms of the only thing that matters is money supply, that, that sort of thinking, and that doesn't re- work in the real world. So in practice, it's, it's very eclectic. Um, there probably is a, a bit more of a nod toward the Keynesian side, I would say, than certainly any strict 
monetarist side, and certainly not a not a, a laissez-faire type where um, government involvement doesn't matter at all. I, I, I certainly a big believer in the role of the Federal Reserve um, in terms of influencing the Vincent cycle and trying to lean against the cycle. So when when the economy is very very weak and we're in recession, it's the Fed's job, I do think, to cut interest rates and to try to stimulate the economy. And then on the other side, when things start to get pretty strong and potentially overheated, it's their role to kind of lean against that as well. I mean, the old expression is taking away the punch bowl just when the party's getting going. I mean, that is their role. I mean, often it's hard to fulfill that role. And there's always a lot of people who object and say it's not needed, it's too soon, there's no inflation out there, et cetera, et cetera. But they, they really do have to lean in both directions. And so it's, that's certainly not a laissez-faire view. I do think the Fed is a very important role. Do you, do you think the Fed has too much power? Um, no, no. I mean, I think, um, I mean, and certainly where would the power be instead? I mean, frankly, what we're going through right now with the talk about a tax cut at this point of the cycle, to me, frankly, demonstrates why politicians should not be in charge of the Fed. So, I mean, obviously, I mean, the president does get to nominate who's on the board of the Fed, although then the power structure of the Fed is that it's balanced across the country. There are the regional Federal Reserve Boards or Federal Reserve Banks get to point their own president separate from the, the administration of Washington. So balance, power does get balanced out. And that's kind of the local community effectively that, that, picks, that picks the local regional Fed president. And you look at what's going on with Congress right now. And I mean, there's a very valid reason for tax reform. I mean, I think there's a very strong case why we should lower our, our corporate tax rate to be more competitive in the world. Absolutely. But I mean, unfortunately, it looks like what's being done in Washington right now is not just about tax reform. There's a big tax cut element as well. And that is probably not needed at this point of the cycle. The Fed, of course, has been raising interest rates uh, because unemployment's been coming down fairly rapidly. And even though inflation is not a problem yet, the Fed's got to be forward-looking. And I think they're right to be taking away stimulus. But at the same time, it looks like there's talk about a tax cut. So again, I mean, this is not the point of the cycle for for, for the tax cut. And again, I think the Fed's role here is to kind of lean against the economy a little bit when it's threatening to over overheat. Um, so could the structure change a bit? But I mean, certainly any structure that would put the power in terms of politicians trying to get reelected at the next election, I don't think would be a good idea. Let me take a quick break, and then I want to come back to the to, to politics a little bit and, and this whole tax cut and the tax policies that we see with the present administration, because I think it's a very important point you make, and I want to, I want to get back to that. So on this show, uh, Jim, we talk a lot about entrepreneurs that dare to be bold and left the corporate grind behind. So if you've always wanted to venture out on your own and make things happen, the folks at Liberty Tax Service can help you out, okay? Because I love these folks. They have over 4,500 locations, their proven franchise model to help set up those who are looking for financial freedom and achieve it. So you can buy a seasonal franchise, so it's only around just during tax season, or you can buy a business that's around all the time. So it's a proven franchise model. It's set to help those who are looking for financial freedom. So uh, they're second to none. They're one of the biggest national brands. Um, they're the, you know, you've seen them before. They're the guys out there waving uh, the, the little waivers. So they look like the Statue of Liberty. That's awesome. I think it's, it's fun. So if you want to know more about them, uh, visit LibertyTaxFranchise.com or you can contact me. Reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever, and I'll put you directly in touch with one of the executives over there because I really like these folks a lot. So Jim, I'm going to get back to the 
So I think I, I think you make a real unique distinction between tax cut and tax reform. I mean, one of the criticisms I'm hearing in uh, amongst Congress is the fact that if, if you give the corporations the tax cut rather than tax reform, they're just going to take the money and buy back their stock. Uh, how do you how do you respond to something like that? That would be part of it. If that's the case, you probably wouldn't get much I mean, direct stimulus to the economy to to the extent the, I mean, of course, well, I wouldn't say zero in the sense that, I mean, it probably wouldn't, every dollar of it probably wouldn't go into buying back stock. And even, even the part that does go into buying back stock, of course, you'd be driving up the equity market, which does probably stimulate the economy a little bit in terms of uh, wealth and confidence effects. But that said- But but no long-term effect. There's no long-term effect. Yes. I mean, ultimately, the goal of this has got to be to try to boost productivity in the economy. I mean, ultimately, you know- it's not that hard to, if they really want to stimulate the economy in the next 12 months to get 3% plus growth instead of 2% growth. I mean, certainly in the morning, you just have a big tax cut, and an individual tax cut for sure. And again, going back to the people who live paycheck to paycheck, most people are going to spend most of that money if you put it in their pocket, um, that, they're, that they're tightly constrained enough that they, they go out and spend. So if you wanted to just boost the economy in the next year, that's pretty easy. But at this point of the cycle, it's not clear that's what we need. And again, the Fed is, if anything, trying to take back stimulus at this point because the unemployment rate is threatening. I know this seems odd to a lot of people to get too low. It's down to 4.1%. It's falling. It's probably going to have a three-handle within a couple of months. Um, and there is the threat of overheating as, as a result of this if you project out 12 months, 18 months down down the road. Well, you, you speak of it like that, and I speak of it a different way. As a business person, I go, it's too, it, when it gets that low, it's too low because we're hiring people we shouldn't be hiring. Well, I mean, and, and ultimately... I mean, there's a good thing to that as well. It does bring people back into the workforce who had maybe dropped mm-hmm. out. Yeah, but not dropped out. I mean, quite, you know, I'll do respect to him. Some of them should not be working. Well, I mean, again, the, the Fed's goal. I mean, ideally, yeah, more people are working the better. I would say. I wouldn't. I wouldn't take that mm-hmm. point of view at all. But that said, in the process, does it start bidding up wages? Start bidding up inflation? A little bit mm-hmm. of that is a good thing, and that's in fact the Fed wants a little bit of that, but they don't want yeah. too much of that. So if you end up with a three percent unemployment rate. And suddenly, wages and inflation are going up four or five percent a year. Their their goal for inflation is two percent per year. That's their that's that's their objective. But but going back to corporate tax reform versus a cut. I mean, ultimately, their goal here should be yes, trying to boost growth over the next several years. And what ultimately determines growth uh, in the long run? It's a function of a productivity growth and b labor force growth. I mean, it's it's not that hard to generate economic growth by driving down the unemployment rate further, but there's a limit to that, and I think we're approaching the limits right now. So ultimately, the goal of tax reform should be to boost productivity growth. I don't think they can really boost labor force growth. Out of that. That's more of an immigration story. But in terms of productivity growth, to the extent they encourage investment um, in, good, in, in equipment, et cetera, and that generates more productivity, then that's a good thing. So I do think there is a very legitimate goal here of trying to boost long-term economic growth through higher productivity growth, encouraging investment. Those are all laudable goals. But unfortunately, a lot of what's being talked about here is not just that. There's just a big tax cut element to this. Yeah, which is just makes for, you know, successful politicians sometimes. And, and of course, it, with the, I mean, the contrast here, I mean, they talk about it. We haven't had significant tax reform since 1986, but that was very different in that that was, of course, bipartisan, first of all. And second, it was expressly deficit neutral. So they lowered tax rates significantly, but the whole structure that they used was every dollar of revenue loss from lowering a tax rate was offset by a 
base broadening measure by getting rid of a deduction. So in the end, it was deficit neutral. So it wasn't a tax cut. It just was pure tax reform. So given all that, should we be talking about rates being too low right now, interest rates? I mean, I can remember back in 1979, 1980, 1982, 83, when people talk about house loans, my house loan was 10% in South Dakota. I got a loan for a house through the South Dakota Housing Authority, which was for first-time buyers, a reduced loan, interest rate loan, which loans were going for like 18 to 20% back then. And I got an eight, a ten percent loan. Thought I was real. I thought I was in hog's heaven. Well, of course, inflation was was probably running ten percent as well. Yeah. And of course, that was I mean a disaster. And the Fed had to raise interest rates dramatically. Of course, when I mean Volcker came in in nineteen seventy nine, he pushed up interest rates dramatically, and we ended up having to have back to back recessions in the early nineteen eighties. It got the unemployment rate up to ten percent, and ultimately that was needed to squeeze inflation out of the system. So we certainly don't want to go back to those days. I mean, just having no. interest rates higher because inflation is high is, is, not, is not, not a good thing. Um, I mean, I think if, certainly the economy is normalizing. The Fed had pushed their short-term interest rate basically all the way down to zero. So now it's just over 1%. I mean, they do seem to be on a track right now where they're raising their interest rate by a quarter of a percentage point every quarter. And I think that's what we're going to continue to see over the next year. So, I mean, it's it's just over one percent right now. The short-term interest rate. Uh, my forecast is it'll be just over two in a year's time. Now, that's short-term interest rates. Um, long-term interest rates. I mean, if you look at say ten-year Treasury yields right now, are are running about two point three, two point four percent. My guess is that they'll be heading up toward three percent or so, which again is historically low. But I do think yes, the direction of interest rates is up over the next year, and a big part of that is because. The Fed is taking back stimulus as the economy recovers. I mean, even being up, it's not that much. I mean, it's, it's, it's a small amount. Let me ask you another question. This relates to something I was reading the other day. I, I saw the Russian government and Putin make a big position on gold. What, what did you? Uh, what, what what should I read into that? I read into that that they oh oh my gosh, it is going to be bad, and they're trying to take a position again. Is do you see anything in, in relationship to that? You know, I don't know how to price gold, frankly. <laughs> Sometimes I don't understand why people do it. Um, and uh, I mean, also just in, in terms of my, my job, I mean, I, I work for high frequency economics. We're an independent economics consulting mm-hmm. firm. So we're not investment advisors. Um, we basically follow the macro drivers of markets, but it's not our, our role to give investment advice per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but more specifically, in, in the case of gold, yeah, I, I know a lot of people often buy it as a hedge against uncertainty and crises. Sometimes people buy it as a hedge against inflation being too high. Sometimes people buy it as a hedge against inflation being too low. Uh, just kind of maybe bad scenarios. But frankly, I just don't even know how to how you would value it properly. It's one thing with the equity market. You'd say it should have a certain PE relative to interest rates, etc. But I honestly just don't really understand how to value gold. <laughs> Fair enough. So let me ask you about all the activity that's going on with with the cryptocurrencies and ICOs and blockchain. What what's your read on that as we as we close out the show here? But what's your read as an economist and its impact on us here in the U.S. and the global economy? Again, it's I must say it's not something I've really studied. My focus mm-hmm. is more the the macro data and interest rates and just what the Fed's doing in fiscal policy and taxes. And all that sort of stuff. So I, I really haven't focused on it. I mean, I know there are a lot of people who would argue that it's a 
it's a big bubble out there, and I guess I'd be sympathetic <laughs> with that point of view. Um, from a macro perspective, I mean, I, I, I think it's very tiny, certainly. I mean, I've seen the comparison of how big that market is, for instance, compared with, say, how big the U.S. housing market was when it was a bubble back in 2007, or even the broad U.S. equity market if you go back to 1999 to 2000, where when those bubbles burst, of course, they were a big factor in driving the economy into recession. But frankly, the, the Bitcoin, um, while it may well be a bubble, is so tiny that I really don't think it has big macro implications, even if it does burst. I love it when an economist can talk about things that are billions of dollars as being <laughs> tiny. <It's- laughs> well, relative to a 20 trillion US economy, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty yeah. tiny. It's all relative. It's all relative, my friend. Well, what a pleasure, Jim, to have you on. It's been, you know, you, you kind of remind me as I was sitting here and I was smiling back to my college economics class. And I can remember my professor, Professor Carson, because I was just didn't have a clue about the class. I got to be honest with you about it. Um, I followed you much better today. You helped me uh, understand. But I can remember I used to answer most questions with, he would ask me and I, I would say, supply and demand, sir, supply and demand. And he would he would turn to me and say, well, Mr. Hazlett, he says, you are wrong, but you are consistent. <laughs> <laughs> so, so a pleasure to have you right here on All Business. Thanks so much, Jim. Thanks, Jeff. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. I learned that this is a tough doggone subject. And you know what? You can talk to three different economists and get three different views. That's the nature of the business. But I tell you what you want to learn. You want to stick with racehorses that win consistently. And look, here's a guy that's winning consistently. So you might have a guy who's a naysayer, a guy that's optimist, whatever it is. But this guy has, in the last 10 years, been the most predictive guy. Now, that says something. So sometimes you might have a feeling about this or feeling about that, but go trust the data. The data says this, and that's what a guy like this does. So that's what I learned from today. And I learned uh, I still don't like this stuff. That's the other thing. Uh, but you got you to pay attention to it because it's part of your business and it's where it's going to go. And I'm not so doggone scared. So that made me feel better today. And, uh, and I thank you guys so much for listening in and making sure that uh, you're part of this. I appreciate it. It's a big thing for me to have you as listeners and friends and followers and, and sometimes even naysayers. I like that too. I like a little tension. Nothing wrong with that. So uh, don't forget my good friends at Institute. Don't forget my good friends at Liberty Tax. Don't forget my good friends. Oh my gosh, Giftogram. Have you tried that? You got to go do that. Download that. I'll get you a special code if you need that and uh, start using them to give away the gifts. There's some really good, good stuff there. And don't forget Elite Your Health. Get your health checked out. Okay. And that's all right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett right here on C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.